Here's a bit of e-commerce trivia. (laughs) Did you know that 9 out of 10 UK shoppers will abandon a store using US dollars? Or that if someone leaves your store to use a currency converter, 2 out of 3 won't return? Not showing the default local currency might be one of the biggest contributors to your e-commerce bounce rate. And if you ship internationally, a multi-currency app is an absolute must. And the folks at Bold make the best multi-currency app out there. Here's why. It auto-detects where your customers are shopping from and shows them their correct currency. So you don't lose them in the first second that they load the site. And of course, it also syncs real-time with currency databases too, so it's always up to date. But it has a few other neat tricks as well, such as rate padding. So if you set it to sync real-time rates, but want to pad the conversion by a few percent eh, to make a little for yourself, you can do that too. It also supports vanity pricing, which I think is neat. So if you want all your prices to end in, say, 99 cents, it could do that for you as well. And it's got all those features, but best of all, it's free. So I can't even offer you a special extended trial, because there isn't one. Just go to the App Store and search Bold Multicurrency. That's bold multi-currency in the App Store. What's the number one customer support request you get? I bet it's, hey, where's my order? My friends at Ventov, makers of SEO Meta Manager, have a solution for this. It's called Order Lookup, and it lets customers look up their orders, right, good name, with either their email or order number, reducing the order inquiries you get in your inbox. We use it on our own high-volume Shopify Plus client stores, like Hoonigan and Yvonne Estelle's to provide real-time order info to customers with a fully customizable order lookup page so you can keep that thing on brand. And hey, if you're a dropshipper, it even works with ePacket. You can get a seven-day free trial when you search order lookup in the App Store. How your, are the levels in your headphones good? Yo, yo, turn my headphones up. Right, turn on. my headphones up. I'll turn them up. You got the beat in your headphones? Paul has headphones for the first time. It's very exciting. He can hear himself, hear playback. Yeah, now I can double hear you. Really makes my life great. And my my big exciting news. Pack Red Inc., local Shopify merchant in Chicago. Who, it's a cool idea. They go and find uh, street art, graffiti art, and work with the artists to turn those designs into apparel and the merchants get uh, or the artists get a revenue share on that and they in in doing this to make these they own a direct to garment printer and we were talking about their business they came by uh, they were at we met at uh, our last meetup and I said hey can you do you do custom printing and they said no but what did you have in mind I said can you make me an EtherCycle logo denim jacket and they did and it's the most glorious kind of 80s thing ever. It's rad. Just straight up. Say you love it. It's interesting. Your wife loves it. My wife did say thought it was a cool idea. I haven't sent her the video yet because she's asleep right now. But <laughs> uh, she will. I'll send it to her and I'm sure she'll like it because she's a nice person. My 10 year old thought that, it was cool. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. He was like, whoa, you look cool today. So thank you. So I finished watching Glow season three. I love Glow. I love Glow too. I think Glow is uh, it's very exciting that show for me when it comes on. <laughs> That's how liking a show works. That's how liking a show works. I know. I like it. My my only complaint with Glow is that there's like too many stories and too many characters, and I figured it out. Every season's only like five hours because most of the episodes are like thirty to forty minutes. 
Yeah, it's 30 minutes, 10 episodes. It's five hours. It feels like everyone gets the short shrift. But I think the advantage to that, though, is the show could continue for more seasons than you'd expect and still maintain the same level of great. See, I would feel like that's fine if it was a normal TV show, but the fact that it's on Netflix and therefore the ratings are like a black box where Netflix could just appear one day and be like, by the way, that show, it's gone now. And you're just like, oh, well, great. We never got all those seasons of stories Kurt promised me. What are There's only... Well, what's the, the off the top of my head, the only other show that's happened with is the OA. No, it happens with Netflix shows all the time, like One Day at a Time, just got killed. There was a bunch that got, that Netflix just announces it's dead, and then it's dead. Like, there's no, like, you know, on normal TV, there's, like, the ratings come out, and you could see the ratings, and you go, oh, that guy's not doing too well. And, you know, you could kind of prepare yourself for it. You need, it's like, it's like losing a loved one. Well, you need to be prepared. I loved the OA. Season one of the OA is, like, but you didn't love season two. Season two is garbage, and they deserve to get canceled after season two. But Frickin- season one was still so good that you're mad there's no season three to redeem it? No. I After what you did with season two, you deserve to be canceled, and you can't. Just to be clear, I personally didn't do it. You did it. I did The did OA not. is, yeah, I love season one so, so much. Like, I've watched it like three times since it came out. It's like so, audac- so audacious and just so great. And then they took the audacity and went way too far with like the psychic octopus and the trees. See, I only watched season one and I liked it, but as soon as, yeah, saying the psychic octopus, I was like, um, okay, maybe not for me. Yeah. And the giant tree that like engulfs her and then the robots that do the movements. Uh huh. The robots that do the movements were pretty cool. Cause that's how you can like teleport between the dimensions without needing like five other people to know the movements. This is getting out of control <laughs> rapidly. <laughs> and I love sci-fi. I just I watched with uh, with the, my ten year old Battle Angel Alita, which is like a it's it's straight up an anime come to life. You have to be into anime, sci fi, and absurd things to love it. And I absolutely loved it. I'm unashamed to admit how much I surpri- I was not expecting to like it. That always helps. But I loved loved Battle Angel Alita. I watched it twice last week. I'll pay, I'll, I'll watch it when it's like out on something. Yeah. I rented it. It was like four bucks to rent it on iTunes. Yeah, I re- watched it and then was like, oh my God, Silas, you have to watch this. He watched it. His 10 year old mind was blown. He was like, I, he gets up the next morning. He's still talking about it. He goes, Alita was the greatest movie I've ever seen. Just <laughs> <laughs> pretty good because he, being 10, really just likes a lot of crap. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You show pretty much anything. He'll be like, I loved it. I'm trying to think. There was one time I was like, I'm like, name one movie you don't like. And like immediately he came, he was like, named it. And it was so immediate. I was like, okay, yeah, you win. That movie was crap. The story would be way better if I could remember it. <laughs> oh, so I know the movie you can make him watch that he'll hate. Uh, the Whales of August. I'm not familiar. It's an, 80, it's an 80s movie and it's based on a play and it's starring Betty Davis in the last movie she was in. And Lillian Gish in the last movie she was in, and like Ann Southern and Vincent Price, and they're all very old. I do love Vincent Price. Well, he's in, like an old man, and it's like about two old sisters living in this house in Maine, and like they're dying, and they're sort of like their recriminations and like their arguments, and like they're it's it's very it's very stagey, but it's like a show entire a show staffed entirely by people over the age of eighty talking. 
Yeah, there's no way he's going to be into this. I know. That's why. Because it was on TCM. The goal I, is not to torture well, him. Well, it was on TCM, and I watched it, and I was just like, I'm enjoying this because it's like Lillian Gish. It's very, it's like kind of history you're watching. I was like, man, if you forced anyone under the age of 20, any one of like not old watching this movie, you're like, you're torturing them. You would kill them making them watch this. I haven't seen it, and therefore I cannot partake in your rampant ages on Mr. Yeah, right. I got you. On to our housekeeping items. Uh, if you have not grabbed a ticket for Clavio Boston and you want to go, you probably want to do that quickly. There's only 600 tickets total. They sold out last year. They will sell out this year. You can get $300 off by using code UNOFFICIALSHOP300 at checkout, and the link is clavio.com slash Boston. Uh, is our boy and Facebook ads genius Kurt Bullock going to be there? Kurt Bullock will be joining me as well. I look. I always look forward to hanging out with Kurt Bullock. He's a cool dude. He's a, he's a great dude. I like him a lot. And I've got, in today's Q&A, he provided an excellent, thoughtful answer to someone's question. The other thing that's been on my mind is, man, should we do another meetup? The venue we used last time is still available. Will, will there be a cold emergency this time? Well, I would... I would prefer not to do it in January and have that happen. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking like October, too early October. I don't, I don't care. Is that enough time? <laughs> You're just bringing this up to me now, live. So yeah. I have to pretend like I want to do it. Well, it's otherwise been, I'll look like a bad guy. Yeah. Well, the it's. it's I don't want rattling hang, around my head for. I don't want to hang out with these unwashed masses. It's the reason I hide behind a microphone. <laughs> well, just wear gloves. I'm gonna wear gloves. <laughs> uh, all right. On today's... So what? So what? you want to do a meetup in October? I don't know. I need, Well, I need some external validation. I need like th- just three to five people to go, oh, I, want, I would love to attend a meetup in October. That sounds awesome. That's right. really what I'm, I'm looking for, external validation. All right. So if you're hearing this, leave a comment under this post in the Facebook group and say, oh, well, I would totally come to a meetup in October. Yeah. But don't lie. I don't know how you're going to communicate the high-pitched voice, but that's a requirement. You could use sub tags, but you can't put tags in Facebook comments. Well, you look like a cool kid when you write in HTML in your comments. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Good. Nailed it. Uh, we've got we've got some some good questions today. Our listener questions. You want to jump into it? Well, what else are we gonna do? <laughs> we got our, our cold open. We got our housekeeping items. I can tell you about this Kennedy thing I watched last night. Not your baby, but John F. Kennedy. You watched a documentary about JFK? Yeah. All right, let's hear it. It's not some conspiracy thing. So, so I'm very into the Kennedy assassination, and I generally get like re into it about once a year. And the whole Epstein thing uh, got me thinking about it again because you know just people getting murdered. And so this one, it was it went deeper into the mortal error theory, which is also touted by Bill James, who is like the king of baseball stats. You, Kurt, probably doesn't know who he is. No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> But so the thought process is Oswald did do it and fired two shots, but the third shot was actually fired by a guy in the Secret Service in the car behind Kennedy's car. And he like heard the first two shots, picked up his AR-15 to be like, what the hell's going on, and slipped and accidentally fired. And that explains all the weird angles and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then every subsequent weird thing about the assassination is the secret service trying to cover up that they accidentally did it. That it was not some elaborate conspiracy until after the fact. When the secret service was like, oh, we got to cover our asses. What if it was just one lone gunman 
who just assassinated Well, him. that's how I feel about it. Yeah. But the problem with this documentary is I'm like, they're like, yeah, this is what happened, and like, none, and no one ever talked about it, and that's why. And they never went into, so in that car behind him was like six Secret Service guys, so none of the guys ever admitted it ever happened. And Kenny O'Donnell and Dave Powers, who were worked in the administration and were like JFK's best friends. So also Kenny O'Donnell and Dave Powers had like an AR-15 shot next to their heads and it killed their best friend and they decided to just like go along with it and not say anything. The problem with any conspiracy theory is it requires like a usually dozens to hundreds of people to all keep a secret. Yeah, exactly. Which uh, that's not going to happen. Yeah. All right. We've got another listener mailbag episode, and our first question comes from Corey Kvist from Nutriki, which is a nice site. You should check it out. It's on Turbo. He writes, with all the bells and whistles and shiny objects available, how should I prioritize them? The, the shiniest. You know, <laughs> do whichever one's the coolest. No, this is a, this is a great question because it, it speaks to a, a common pain that is not talked about uh, in the community. And it's, there are so many resources out there. Like we produce a weekly podcast. Each episode has multiple ideas you could try. And then there's all, uh, the, the apps out there. And there's just so much content about, here's the thing you should do to make more money with your store. You make yourself crazy and you'd run out of time and money trying to implement all of it. So what do you do? How do you decide? I think I have thoughts. Oh, let's hear them. All right. One, this is boring and off-site, but are your margins the best they could be to allow you to like screw with your pricing and make enough money? Earlier in the game, that's almost like, you know, we always talk about your online store and like that's the only thing we care about, but there are like decisions made before the online store where the product is being like manufactured and shipped and built and all that stuff that happened before the store exists that are also huge things. Massive. Yeah, yeah. it's just not... The things that happen... That's not the thing that we talk about, Before though. the store yeah. and after the store, so manufacturing and then later fulfillment. Yeah. We're, we are blind to those. We have a spotlight just on the yeah. part in the middle. But I, I feel like I would be remiss in not talking about the stuff you do before it hits the store. Like, make your... Are your margins as big as they could be? Like, are you manufacturing things correctly? Like, we've talked to people, I and mean, we talked to someone this week that, like, their manufacturing process... They were like, help me with our store. And we were like, great, how do you do all this? And they're like, they went over their manufacturing process. And we were like, yay, that's a disaster. Like, you're not going to make money. Who cares how the store works if you like are, you know, your cost per item is just astronomical. So you're saying, number, if we you have validated the idea before you jump into all the shiny toys, which really are, they're all attempts at scaling. All of them are, you're going to sell more to your existing traffic or you are going, uh, so either bump conversion rate or lifetime value or average order value, one of those metrics, or you're going to bring more qualified traffic to the store. Either way, the end result is you make more money, you sell more stuff, but that's just re- top line revenue. You're saying, all right, once you've gotten to that point where you're saying, eh, should I be scaling? You have to first look at everything before that, get your costs in line yeah. before you scale the business. Well, and you're also not going to sell it if you're like, if your manufacturing process means your product is has to be too expensive, if you're like, I'm selling backpacks, and they're like, super cool, awesome backpacks, also 
well, because of how I manufacture them, the backpacks have to be $500. It's like, this isn't going to work. Even if it's not, if it's positioned as a luxury good? Well, I don't know. Maybe that was a bad example. I guess that was an edge case. <laughs> but your po- I, I get your point. Is All right, before we're looking at all the shiny toys to sell more stuff, is the business in a position where we should be scaling? And it? I think that's, that's the thing, as you put it exactly, is like people view their website as like public-facing, and therefore it's a shiny toy that can make them look cool, whereas no one is like... No one other than Tim Cook thinks your manufacturing process is really cool. Yeah, well, I think that's there's an important your logistics lesson right there. Jobs chose Cook because he w- had uh, th- this tremendous skill with just-in-time manufacturing. Yeah, so he knew that this it is someone who was a master of fulfillment. Of getting the stuff out the door. Of logistics and fulfillment. Was the right person. Getting the raw materials and then later getting it out the door should be his replacement. All right, so let's say we we have nailed that. We know for sure, like, man, my margins are great. I'm selling stuff at 5x cost. Yeah. uh, Cost of goods sold. So I'm ready to scale it. It'll work. So in my mind, the next one is, does your site load quickly and is locked in on phones. Because this is a pet peeve of mine that keeps coming up. 80 to 90% of all stores traffic is on phones. And I feel like... Oh, so- it'll be, for some stores, it'll go up to 95. Yeah. But yeah, min- it's like minimum 80%. So And so it's like, okay, and but all the store owners I know only look at it on desktop. And they like send me screenshots and they're like, this looks a little broken. Like, I don't know about this. And they're like constantly tweaking the desktop layout. And it's like, hey, buddy... 10% of people are, of your customers are seeing that. And the thing that 80% and like 5% are on tablets. So the, so the thing that 85% of people are seeing, you don't even care about. But less than whatever you're selling on desktop, less than half of those purchases are going to come from mobile. So it's... It doesn't matter. No, not, the conversion rate's less than half, but yes. not the total dollar value. If 80%... Oh, that's true. If 80% of the... Uh, 80% of the traffic is on phones, then at least, you know, a, a majority of the revenue is going to be on phones. But they don't care about it at all. And also, maybe that's the reason that the phone conversion rate is so low is because no one ever looks at it. I think the... Well, and so this is still speaking to prioritizing the basics first. So it's like, if your theme is jacked up on mobile, then, like, why are we, why are we messing with apps and widgets and services? Yes, so yeah, all right. So we need we still this goes back to we need a strong foundation before we're adding stuff. And with like the more apps and services you add, the harder it is to maintain, update, and change themes. Yeah. So you handicap yourself from the get go. Yes. So really, in an ideal scenario, for once the bi- so do whatever you need to do to get the business validated. But once that happens, it's get expenses down, then nail that website. Just get it dialed in and perfect. But especially on phone. Especially on mobile. Don't even look at the desktop. Look at it on mobile. Mindset shift. I hate you. <laughs> uh, well, I think I think everyone knows mobile is important. I should be looking at mobile. But I think in practice, it is just seductive and easy to look to use and look at and operate on desktop. I don't think they know it enough. They're like, oh, I know mobile is important. It's like, I know drinking water is important. Like, do you? Because you still need to drink more water. Okay. You think you need to drink water, but you actually need to drink way more water than that. So, 
once I've I've dialed, let's assume I've got all that in place, and in NutriKey's case, I I have confidence in Corey the the uh, the Askers case. I have confidence that his his manufacturing his acquisition costs are solid. He's got that nailed down. Uh, I have confidence in the site, largely because we built it. Okay, fine. <laughs> I guess. I guess those guys may know what they're doing, and. At that point, then, all right, how do I decide what app services promos we should do? Email. Email, yeah. You hire someone to get your email sequences completely locked in. You're, like, maintaining your list. You're getting growing your list, and you're just, like, firing off emails and sales like a madman. Yeah, until you have a email list at uh, you know, 150,000 people, you still, the, the number one untapped revenue source in your business is going to be building that audience via the email list. Yeah. Every nine out of 10 merchants, that email list is going to be their, their big revenue driver. And then properly seeding and harvesting and maintaining that email list. Oh, yeah. Like you split, you're splitting up the audiences. You're getting, you got post-purchase emails. You got we're abandoned segmenting, card emails. We're, we're split segmenting. testing. Yeah. Okay. We're taking really, when it comes to email, you want to be like chubbies. You want to go back, listen to that Chubby's podcast. He lays out the process, and it's really like it, it's very impressive, not to- inaccessible at all, and way more than most people are doing. But not for lack of resources; people just aren't thinking to do it. And so then, once you do all that, I'm just—I'll just say it—I don't care what you do, because <laughs> at that point, you're probably making eighty percent of the maximum amount of money you could make. You're right. There's no one... If you follow that approach, this is really... This is truly... Mindset shift. For me. Because I've not thought through this like this before. The, there's no app that is going to make anywhere near the amount of money for you that the act of scaling the audience and, and building out and operating a really powerful Chubbies-esque email program. Yep. But within that... So, like, all right, as far as apps, shiny toys, bells, and whistles, what may fit in there is uh, your email service provider, Clavio, we could consider one of these items. And then number uh, two, a pop-up app. And Clavio has a pop-up builder built in there, but it's just, it is I not... I think Turbo has built it. Turbo just has it built into the theme, I think. Yeah, they have, it's got a pop-up in yeah. there as well. So you could use those. The thing I... But you can get crazy with a pop-up builder like Privy. Where you could build, um, you know, very fa- different pop-up campaigns, and they've got these much more elaborate triggers. Like, all right, someone scrolls fifty percent of the way down on the homepage is a different pop-up versus exit intent on the cart page. We did a really cool one. I built a really cool one for Contract Shop that it opens. It asks a yes/no question. I thought this was very clever. Yes/no question. It's like, do you want to save ten percent? Yes. And then it says, all right, there's only one thing you have to do. To get get it, you got to give us your email address and your email address. You enter the email address, then step three, here's your coupon code. And that is really a, a tremendous opt-in rate uh, and a decent conversion rate. But that's, again, like the point of the pop-up and the app is to collect emails for the email program they're running. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, and that's why I say after, after we've crossed this line, everything else you do moves the needle, I don't know, two or three percent. Maybe. And so now I can no longer differentiate between the two or three percent needle movers. So really I for apps I want to number one ask, 
does this grow my audience? If yes, then that's some like, okay, now it, it's worth looking into. Does this increase uh, my revenue? I, m- maybe? I mean, if it's increasing, like product bundles, product upsells increase average order value. Yeah, and, and yeah, and you know, when you're thinking something like, you know, a, rev- a reviews app like Judge Me or whatever helps and, you know, it requires no. We need social proof. Yeah, you need social proof and it requires almost no effort on your part. You know what? I take that back. It does require effort on your part because you got to get those reviews. And how do you get those reviews? With email. With your email list. You're right. Unless, until your email is dialed in. You should not care about anything else. But yeah, that's what's going to make your money. Yeah. And in our, like, our, our really big clients, that's the obsession. It's like, what, what is our email promos look like this month, next month, and lining up um, content calendars and new products and promos with what's going to go into the email calendar is what the like the really the seven eight figure brands are doing. And I feel like that's I you know people don't view email as a bell whistle and shiny object because we've had it since the start of the internet. We had AOL, AOL email. I need that. You've got mail sound. No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, so it's like everyone's like, well, email's boring. It's like, well, email makes you more money than literally everything else combined. So if unless money's boring, you should. Do your email. So I th- would think then s- the next step, since we've identified email and the audience as the important part, is apps related to retention marketing. Whatever is, we've spent the money to get someone to the site, whatever is going to keep them in the funnel and as our audience, that's the thing we should be looking at. Yeah. And then, all right, from there, now as we're scaling, let's look at stuff that automates and eases support. All right, if we can nail that, now, f- now, after you've done all that, so email, retention, support, now go and figure out uh, the shiny toys, the fun widgets. Really, like any app that is a widget, that's going to be shiny bell whistle type thing. Yeah. Oh, I got a chat thing. People are going to want chat on my website. No, they don't. <laughs> I like those because you, you're busting objections in real time. It's one of the only ways we're going to hear from the people who don't buy. I hate those. I need the objection busters. I hate those. I got to know why they're not buying. If you didn't make a purchase today, why not? I hate those. You just hate, and and truthfully, in the in some of those pop ups, there's always the person who's like, "I hate these pop ups." Me. Whenever you you type in, whenever you you install them on some, I go to that site, and then I type that in. (laughs) That's it. Yeah, to make your job harder. I don't think so because it's got the IP in the city. (laughs) It's not like Skokie, Illinois. I run it through a VPN. Oh, (laughs) you're right. I wouldn't catch that. It's very elaborate. At that point then you're going to look at uh, these apps by ROI. Is this going to save me time, thus increasing my effective value rate, or is this going to you know, in some way increase the, the LTV of a customer on my site so I make more revenue? And when at that, once you're at that point, so really it comes down to we're prioritizing things by re- potential return on investment, and that's why email goes first, because nothing can compete with the ROI in email. Yeah. And that's, that is the, the key thing here. Only worry about the bells and whistles and like the ways to manipulate product bundles and all that sort of stuff until you've reached diminishing returns on making your email better. And and may and reaching diminishing returns is farther off than you think. Hold up. We'll hear more after this quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Simpler, a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your Shopify store. It works with your existing email and chat tools, so setup is quick and easy. 
Simpler provides on-demand, U.S.-based customer service specialists to answer your customers' most common questions. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat with 24-7 Simpler specialists. Find out more at simpler.ai. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I. And now, back to the show. Hit me. Uh, building on this question, Monica Benavidez, I butchered that. You're Mexican. You should be able to do that one. I know. I get, well, I, and then I get very embarrassed and ashamed. <laughs> yes. So if someone feels totally overwhelmed as a new shop owner, what's the one thing you'd recommend they hire out to alleviate the stress? Everything. Uh, Everyone so, can do it better than you. I'm not even kidding. That is, well, all right. So it, number one, tool is a money to buy back your time. That's mindset shift. And so, well, yeah, look at it that way. Tools are money to buy back your time. So hiring out and getting and delegating, getting other and leveraging other people saves you the stress and the time so that you can invest your time into doing something else that would be more worthwhile, like, you know, building out your email list, whatever it may be. In that, the thing that's, that's going to stress people out, you know, the common ones are uh, ongoing, ongoing managing your email and marketing and that stuff, but maybe you don't want to hire that out just yet. I would go with, start with the things that are jobs to be done, that there's no additional value by you doing it versus someone else. So 100%, that's number one is order fulfillment, and then number two is going to be email support. Those are the two I would, absolute first things I'd get off my plate. Um, and then from there, it's probably, uh, content creation. And so that could be, you know, uh, writing newsletters, blog posts, social media, that stuff. And then after that, all right, now you could, if you want to be fully out the game and have someone else run everything for you, you're going to hire an online business manager to then manage all of those people for you. I guess I think about it more like how much do you charge to set up email campaigns? $5,000. And would you say your email campaigns would perform, I don't know, 10 times better than some random schlubs? Yes. So why wouldn't they just spend the five grand on having you do it? Because they're going to get 10x the return of them doing it. Well, when you put it like that. Yeah. Because everybody thinks, well, I could do it. it it's penny wise and pound foolish. It's like, well, I could just build my own house. Yes. It's just like, or you could hire a professional to do it who will do it way better than you. Yes. So like, really, uh, you should just hire people to do everything. I feel like we're getting a lot of these questions from people that are like, well, how do I do this without spending any money? Like, is there a way to like get those sales without buying Facebook ads? That's a, oh, that question comes up over and over. Uh, you know, how would you scale your store without Facebook ads? Uh, well, you're handicapping yeah, it's yourself. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. How do I win a basketball game with my arm tied behind my back? It's like, why would I do that? Yeah. Facebook's the traffic store. You got to go to the traffic store and buy some traffic. Yeah. And, you know, I understand that people have, you know, people's stores probably start out as side hustles and they don't have the kind of capital that would be required to do all this right off the bat. But it's sort of like, you got to do it. Once you've seen, once you've validated the idea, you've seen that you have people buying one of two things needs to happen to r- rapidly in to rapidly scale to make it a a real big boy business is either number one take all of the the money that you're making from your fledgling store and just invest it straight back into the store that's you just have to view it as that's not my money that's the business's money and we're going to invest that back in the store a lot of businesses run that way that seems to be a a good process 
or once it's validated and you know I you can make this thing work and it people are going to give you money okay now you can sig- much more confidently borrow money and typically that's realistically that's going to be you know you're not taking out a second mortgage on your house you're using credit cards to pay for services and facebook ads mhm now, the level of risk you're comfortable with, that's entirely subjective, and it's going to depend on your situation. Like, I don't know, given how expensive healthcare is, given that I've got three kids and a mortgage, I couldn't start over right now. I don't yeah. know that I could. No. Because I started 10 years ago. I was in my 20s, and I was single. Yeah, the fact that we were both just like guys living in tiny apartments in the middle of Chicago, single, yeah. like made it a lot easier, because the only person that wasn't getting fed was ourselves. Yes. Uh, there was a lot of ramen eating. Yeah. I understand where they're coming from. It just, it frustrates, and I get where they're coming from too, but it like, it kind of frustrates me where they're sort of just like, but how do I do this cheaply? And I view that as part of a sibling of the question that we get asked a lot, which essentially boils down to, well, what's the magic bullet that'll make my store the money store? Like, well, there isn't one. The answer is more, more traffic and extend customer lifetime value. Yeah. I mean, that's oversimplifying How how do I make that magically happen without spending any money? You don't? Yeah, you can't. Yeah. There's going to be money exchanged here, no matter what you do. It feels rude, and I know I have like the reputation as being like the mean one, whereas you're like the nice one that like tries to help people and work along with them. While I don't I, think it's the mean while one. Well, I like scowl in the corner. Which uh, that's part what, of that's a character. That's what happens here, though. But yeah, every time I see these questions from people in the Facebook group and like in the mailbag and like people talking online and on Twitter. It feels like the question always boils down to, well, how do I make money without spending money? And I just keep wanting to be like, you don't? That's, I'm, you know, the, the variation on this question is, you know, when someone loses weight, you go, how'd you do it? What's the trick? Well, calories it's in like, I ate a was lot, less than calories out. I ate a lot less and exercised a lot more. Oh, like, well, that's what's no your fun. secret? Did you eat like a cool diet? No. Yeah. And that's like that. That's what I hear when people are like, hey, how would you grow your store, scale your store without pay- PPC? I wouldn't. Or the people are like, or um, when people say Clavio is too expensive, like eh, this is the one thing you really need to invest in, and it, it's not too expensive. It's a tiered pricing structure. Yeah, I, I want to give people an answer, and I think the answer is all right. You would have, and you're, you're going to have to do something that will be significantly more harder than Facebook ads, but also not cost money, and that's create content. Are you a fantastic writer? Can you create fifteen, two thousand word? Like 15, or yeah, could you create two dozen 2,500 word ultimate guide articles? That stuff is going to get shared. Then once those people visit the site, okay, can you afford to retarget them? That's going to be significantly less money. It's going to be way less risky. If you can invest the time in just absolutely tremendous top-notch creation, then you have an unfair advantage that you're able to do that. I don't want to sit down and write 2,500 word articles. My wife does it. She's great at it. And that has... And then combining that with a, a Pinterest, Facebook, social media strategy, she is able to do it. But I know the whole thing would go much faster were she spending more money on Facebook ads. But, I mean, that's a to tell people like, oh, yeah, here's the answer. Most people can't write like that. Yeah. The fact that she can is tremendous. So the answer is, I mean, you'd, you'd have to create just phenomenal content. And here's the thing. It won't be fun content. Like, that is the, the motor on her business is she is writing purely factual, yeah. here's how to plan your vacation. It is not fun. It is, it, it's factual. And that's the thing that, that, um, that, that works, that gets content. But it's not, 
I, it would be like pulling teeth if I tried to do that. Yeah, like I'm a, I know that I'm a, I'm a very good writer, but I don't want to write it unless it's like interesting to me. And like, I think it's going to be really great. So it's like, so anything that I create is going to have a long gestation period. Whereas the name of the game here is purely just churning out SEO driving and content driving stuff. Where it's just like, you know, oh, is this list, is this 2,500 word list countdown like fun and interesting to me? No, then I'm not going to be able to churn it out. Now, the way out of this is to use guest posts. But guest posts are rarely going to be as good quality. Well, because guest posts also are usually from someone trying to pimp something else. And they're generally promoting themselves. Yeah. We have a guest post recently from Nick DiSabato. That's very good. Oh, well, he's, that's different. Yes. <laughs> Nick's a pro. Yeah. So I think, like, if, if the question is, do it without spending Facebook ads, i.e. do it with your hands tied behind your back, you're going to just have to sit down and become a full-time writer is yeah. how to do it. Yeah, if you want to go the cheap way. If you want to go the cheap way, that means you don't value your time at all, and you will be spending all of your personal time writing content. Not in an ideal world, we could do both of these things. <laughs> Spend the money on the Facebook ads to promote the content you're creating. Yeah. Well, the other solution is you have to leverage other people's audiences. That's what really all of these things are doing. Like with uh, SEO, it's you're leveraging Google's audience, right? Mm -hmm. And with Facebook ads, you're buying Facebook's, Facebook's audience. audience. So I think um, one of the things I would say is you could, if you really can't spend the money on Facebook ads, then you should instead focus on so that you can get the revenue and validate the product and get some some reviews. Sell on Amazon. Sell on Etsy. Sell on eBay. Just sell on a marketplace because that's like that's what the listing fee is for is to buy you're paying to buy their traffic. Yeah, you know that's a good that's a good point. Build it, that as a sales channel yeah, if, that it, integrates with your store. Then use that money to buy the Facebook ads to promote. Yeah, if you're so, if you're so cash strapped that you can't buy Facebook ads and you can't do all these other things and you can't have Clavio. Well, how are you buying you, inventory? Why are you even having your own store? Why are you even having your own storefront that you need to maintain and try to drive people to? Just, just build a brand. Just use someone else's storefront, though. Yeah. Yeah. Like, make the money on someone else's storefront that will then allow you to bootstrap into your own storefront. Yeah, this really is a question about, like, how, how do you bootstrap it very strictly bootstrapping? Yeah. So, okay. We're, well, we're getting somewhere with this. So sell on, a different, on marketplaces to create consistent revenue through there, while at the same time creating content around the brand and the products and siloing that to your website and yeah. then promote it on social media. And then, okay, now here leveled up. Now that you have an established brand with cool content and you're starting to get an audience and figure out your voice. Now you go now move the store onto your own website in like a subdomain. Well, you could run the whole thing on Shopify to begin with. Oh, true. Yeah. That's what I would do then. Cause as we've learned from, from Julie's website, it, it works very well as a just its own content platform. The okay, then from there, now you could start building relationships with other people in your niche. <laughs> so you could do like cross promotion and co-branding. Yeah, like essentially um, joint venture content. So whatever for that could be uh, getting on someone else's podcast. That could be um, doing like a recorded YouTube interview. Something along that. Now you are entrenching yourself in whatever your niche or community is. You're networking, but you're also leveraging their audience. Okay. You do. And once you get one of those, you ask them, hey, can you introduce me to someone else? 
you get the next one, the next one, the next one. You do a bunch of those. All right, now we got something cooking. And at this point, you should be able to pay for Facebook ads. We worked through it. <laughs> That's great. You're very proud of yourself. I am. I was feeling, I was feeling guilty that I'm like, I just, I want to help these people. It's to go back to the diet analogy of how do you help me lose weight? Also, I want to eat pizza every night and not exercise. It's like, well, sorry. Yeah. You could do it without Facebook ads. It's just, it's going to be, it's going to take longer. It's going to be much harder. And there's a, there's a tremendous opportunity cost to that. At the same time, if you don't know what you're doing, pay-per-click advertising is an amazing way to just burn money. Oh, that's true. Like you just run it through a paper shredder. Well, that's the other thing is you should probably hire someone to set up your advertising. But even then, like, I've, you hear horror stories. It's not, and it's not a guarantee. I mean, what the line I always use is all advertising and marketing is an investment, and like all investments, carries an inherent risk. So certainly you are minimizing the risk, but you're not eliminating it entirely. But I think you could do it. I, I don't. I like the system we came up with. Paul thinks you're going to fail. Oh, my God. <laughs> Paul believes in you. No, he doesn't. I believe in you. Yeah. I have seen the dumbest things make people tremendous amounts of money. I didn't say that. I didn't say that doesn't happen. That certainly happened. <laughs> I saw an ad today. that I think I'm going to go back and buy it. I was on Instagram, and it was it's a video. It opens with a before and after, and it's like, tired of dark garages? I was like, hell yeah, I am. I got a lot of lights in my garage. I can always use more. And it's a, it's an a $50 LED light bulb you screw in, and it's like um, three LED panels on hinges so you can angle it. This thing looked crazy bright. It looked really cool. And then you click through the site. They're like, well, one is 50 bucks, but if you buy two, it's 10% off. I'm like, well, I got, I got two light sockets at the ceiling of my garage. I need two of these. Oh, I'm going back and buying one. Why don't, why don't, why don't you just put like regular light bulbs in them? It's not bright enough, Paul. Are you, you doing a lot in your garage? I, well, I've got my workbench in there. Do you just like a light set up over that? Yes, that has two lights set up over it. So well, what's the problem? It's not bright enough. Why don't you just buy bigger light bulbs? I've got... That a, are not $100. It's about the throw. It's a, is it about optics? It's about getting it into all the corners? Uh, like there are areas of the garage that are a little darker than I'd like. Like definitely the bays are very bright. Have you been in garages? Because I don't think you want to like see exactly what is going on in the corner. <laughs> My point is... That seemed to you seems like it, a ridiculous, stupid, overpriced product. Correct. To me, it solves a real pain or problem in an economical fashion because what's my alternative? Spend hundreds to thousands adding additional light fixtures and lighting, whereas this is say, hey, for 50 bucks, you fix this. I think that's brilliant. So my point is, no matter what your goofball idea is, there is someone out there who is interested in it. You just have to find them. I never said none of that was true. <laughs> You said we're all going to fail. You, you've set up a giant straw man that's like Paul saying your ideas are bad. And then I tore that straw man down. Yeah, great. Great yes. job. <laughs> so, all right, what's your takeaway? Uh, my takeaway is spend some goddamn money at cheapskates. I like it. Moving on, speaking of pricing, Ryan Barr asks, for those who design their own products, meaning you manufacture your own products, you're not a reseller or dropshipper, how do you decide pricing? Are there good methods for testing different price points with your customers? And then Kenny Wave Azama, who often asks great questions in the group, says, yes, I would love to learn the best way to test pricing as well. 
And there are, I think, some other follow-ups there. You taught me about this many right. years ago. Let's hear. A concept called Keystone. Keystone. And Anyone what, who worked retail knows Keystone. What Keystone is, is <clears throat> you every stage in the process of selling something, the price should probably double. So if you're manufacturing a product, every step in the process of selling it, the price doubles. So you're making it, it costs 10 bucks. When you sell it to, when you wholesale it to a store, you sell it to them for $20 and then the store will sell that product to the consumers for $40. So if you, if you think your price point on the shelf going to people should be 40 bucks, that means that you should be manufacturing it for 10. That's what Keystone means. And so if you're like manufacturing it and selling it direct to consumer, then you could sell it for 20 and you manufacture it for 10. But if you want to get into stores, you have to think about a price point being a lot higher because everyone's got to take their cut of profit along the chain. So that's like the general rule of thumb. There's obviously stuff that has smaller margins and stuff that has way bigger margins than that. Like luxury goods are, are usually 10x. Yeah. Or like a weird ass little keychain that sells for like three bucks. You know, they made that keychain for 25 cents. Yeah. No, you, you nailed it. That's, that is the baseline for doing pricing. But ultimately, you want to price you want to price the customer. So it's what is the customer willing to pay for this? That's subjective. Yeah. And can you regularly access those customers? That's uh, the other way to look at pricing. That's like more pricing psychology stuff. But think about like cars exemplify this. All cars have four wheels, a motor, and get you from point A to point B. All car, yeah, all cars are basically the same, and you could buy a car. You could buy a decent car for $10,000 or $100,000 or a million dollars. You buy a Bugatti for a million. Yeah, and they generally are like, what, 75% the same. Yeah, 80% the same. <laughs> yeah. They're all 80% the same. It's like you same. put a key in, you turn it on, put gas in it, you drive it around. I have, I, I have been lucky enough. I have driven Ferraris and Porsches and crazy cars and not that I own either of those, but like functionally, they're all the same damn thing. Yeah. Like I, you could, I could put you in a Lamborghini today. You would figure out how to start and drive it. I wouldn't have to tell you. So like, that's an example where, yeah, certainly there, a lot of those luxury exotic cars probably don't cost them as much to make yeah. as you, like the pricing would suggest. Maybe it does. It depends. Um, but they're, they're pricing the customer. Like cars are a great example where the person just decides what a car is worth on their own yeah. and then picks the car that fits that price. Yeah, it's a, you can get a pack of Hanes shirts for eight bucks, and then how much is like one of those freaking Kanye shirts? I'm, a lot, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, Kanye's selling shirts for like 80. I know that's like the, <laughs> I think he, the his sneakers, Yeezy, the Adidas Yeezys, yeah. those are like 350. Yeah. And I'm sure they're like their special editions are like $1,000. Yeah. Would make me vomit. Going with that, he says, are there good methods for testing different price points with your customers? I This is a good thought question. I think the way to do it, two ways to do it, set up two versions of the product page and you hide one. I think you you probably have to hide one, like from collections and navigation. So you got two versions of the product page. They are identical, but for the price. Then you've got Facebook ads that you know work and convert. So you send some of them, half of them to the lower price and half of them to the higher price. And then using the Facebook ads, you can see, okay, what do they convert at and which one generates the most revenue? Yeah, you don't even care what they convert at. It's what generates more revenue. Because if one has 10% less conversions, but the price is doubled, you're yes. making way more money. Yeah, we don't want to look at total orders. We'd rather look at 
total what money. Is revenue generated. Yeah. That's one way to do it. Um, just landing pages with ads. Hell, would six, seven years ago, that's how we decided which e-commerce platform to use. I had identical <laughs> oh, that's landing right. pages. You did do that. We had a productized service called Website Rescues, and I swapped out. I made ten versions of the landing page, and the only thing that changed was the platform. And then I used back then you could buy Google Ad keywords for niche stuff easily. So I bought different ads keywords against those different platforms and sent them to each respective landing page. And in doing it, we're able to gauge the market. Um, and then, but also gain experience on each of those platforms and ultimately confirm the idea that Shopify was a hundred percent the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we only had to work on one lemon stand project and two big commerce projects and, and two, one press to and shop, press to shop, one press to shop project you know, and WooCommerce to go, uh, I think I want to go back to Shopify. Yeah. Shopify won that race pretty easily. <laughs> yes. But if you wanted to do split testing, you could do it as well with Google Optimize. Google Optimize is free, and it will let you, um, someone visits the page, you could say, all right, give me 50% of the traffic who visits that page, just redirect them to a different URL. And so as soon as they hit, and you run the anti-flicker snippet, they won't even really notice. It's a minor hiccup. And then it'll take you to um, the different pricing one, and then doing that, you can see, okay, which one converts best. I just feel like it's also a thing that has a lot of different moving parts involved. Like, because it also depends on like your value proposition. Like, have you positioned this as a luxury product? You know, if you double the price of it, obviously your conversions are going to go down. But if you take the time and effort to properly position it as a luxury product, it might sell at the same rate at the doubled price. Or it's stuff even like where you're like, oh, it's on sale. It's 25% off, but it's not really 25% off. Like Macy's all day, every day? Or like when those when stores go out of business, when like Toys R Us goes out of business or anything goes out of business, they're like, oh, clearance. We're clearing it all out. Like it's 60% off. It's not 60% but off. I, yeah, day one, you're really just buying it at regular prices. It was the same price it was the day before. Yeah. Um, but that I'm sure will increase conversions and in revenue if you add all that sale language, even though there isn't really a sale. So... It's also the psychology around, not just the number value of the price, but the psychology value around the price itself. The other issue is, can I change the quality of the traffic? So there's, you know, you could use Facebook ads and try and segment by, I think there's a, an affinity audience for people who are more likely to buy online. Uh, you could do, break it down by uh, income range. I mean, there's a lot of ways to change the customer if we want to price the customer. So I feel like our answer is this is too complex of a system to boil down to one sequence of ideas you should be using. Well, for, okay, so if you're manufacturing itself, you use Keystone for the base price. I think, yeah, you start at Keystone. And then from there, I, I think the, the safest, best way to do it is two listings with different prices and the identical Facebook ads, identical audiences, and you're just going to send them one of two to each. I think that's the way to do it. And because Facebook has the nice reporting, it also makes it's a really easy way to see, like, okay, that's how this one is generating more money. This one has the higher ROAS. Yeah. And then, well, and then this is like sort of like a little side angle here, but like, you know, you could think about how you can up the perceived value of the product. Like, if a cheeseburger is three bucks, they're going to make a bacon cheeseburger, 350. The slice of bacon doesn't cost 50 cents, but adding that slice of bacon made you want to pay 50 cents more. And so they just increased their margin and increased the price you paid. So it's like, you got to think about, is there like a little, is there a little tweak or a little thing you could do to make it seem nicer and better that then lets you raise your prices more easily? 
taking the Gordon Ramsay approach to kitchen management, uh, restaurant management. That's more of a Marcus Lemonis thing. Oh, I love Lemonis. Yeah. Have you been to his restaurant in, on the North Shore? You know, Emily actually talks about that all the time. He sometimes shows up there in the, in the show where he like meets people there. I w- we went. It was very good. My wife is a, Gordon, is a Marcus Lemonis super fan. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's, vi- she's like, he's so nice. He seems cool. Yeah, she likes him. Yeah, I should interview him. I but I uh, I ran into him at a Cubs game once. Did you, did you just panicked? No, he. I think he panicked because I we were like exiting Wrigley Field and it was like very packed and like I literally was like going one way, he was going the other, and we like met at the exact same point. And I was kind of just like, well, I love your show. You're so cool, blah." And he was like, "Oh, thank you, uh, thank you, thank you," <laughs> and like trying to get away from this giant oaf just yelling at him in the middle <laughs> of the Wrigley Field concourse. Uh. Yeah, I could see where he was just like going to keep going on his way. Yeah. All right, our final, this episode has gone long. Yeah, all right, we don't need to do a final one. If it, what, What's the time? Well, the, I want to do the final one because Kurt Bullock went through the effort of answering the question yeah, Fuck for Kurt me. Bullock. <laughs> you just, the time of the episode, you're like, he's a great dude. <laughs> Edward, Eduardo Jimenez asks, how to properly split test multiple ad creatives for new product prior to launching conversion campaigns? Or do we just stack all our ad creatives in a conversion campaign from the get-go? And Kurt Bullock, who will forget forget more about Facebook ads than I will ever know, says the only way to get data on new creative is with live campaigns. There are many ways to structure your tests depending on your specific circumstances. But here's a few tips to help you get started. When testing, have one or two ads max per ad set. Otherwise, Facebook will quickly give all the spend to one or two ads while ignoring all the other ads in the ad set. Test new creative to audiences in top of funnel, middle of funnel, and bottom of funnel as they each respond differently. Don't test new creative and new audiences at the same time. Pick audiences that have demonstrated performance at some level so you can eliminate it as a variable. Excellent advice. And he finishes with, for ongoing testing, I'll often rotate new creative into the ad sets every few days, keeping the highest performing ad and disabling the low performers. Feed the winners, starve the losers. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah just you just keep... You just keep evolving the ad set where you're just like the bottom two ads, you just kill them. And then you put in two new ones that you thought up and you keep the top ones rotating in. And then it's just survival of the fittest. You just keep doing that over and over again. Yeah. And to your point about like, hey, you should delegate everything because each of these people are specialists and better than you at that. Yeah. Well, there's, I think that case in point. Yeah. Yeah. Is there's a reason why I don't do the Facebook ads management. (laughs) Kurt Bullock does because he eats, sleeps, breathes that stuff. Yep. All right, and if you would like to hire us for Facebook ads management, hit up ethcycle.com. Kurt Bullock will be the one really doing it. That's yes, yeah. Uh, in closing, we could always use more topics. Join our Facebook group. Search unofficial Shopify podcast on Facebook. We run a tight ship. There's no spam in there, no nonsense. So it is pure nonstop value, just like the show. No BS. I wish my sound drop app was open so I could add a hilarious sound on there all right we'll catch you in two weeks just say like paul out say something say anything god damn it big news from our friends at out of the sandbox this month their newest theme just launched it's called flux and it's for those of us who loved all the bells and whistles and turbo but thought i need more of this That's where Flex is a game changer for you. It can be configured in an endless number of ways thanks to more layout and section options than ever, more granular control of settings, and easy addition of custom CSS through the theme editor. It's perfect for development agencies like ourselves 
as well as e-commerce entrepreneurs like you looking to create a unique online store experience for your customers. Now, here's the coolest part. Flex has a new Demo Shop Import feature that allows you to fast-track your shop setup based on any of 12 demo shops. You get all of the theme settings, layouts, content, and sections used in that demo shop of your choice applied automatically to your store. You can check Flex out right now at outofthesandbox.com. And if you like it, take 20% off the purchase price when you use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's outofthesandbox.com and code PODCAST20. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.